0: Welcome to the Church's Radical Reform Podcast. My name is Christopher Lamb, and in this series I'm exploring an unprecedented reform process launched by Pope Francis. So far I've looked at why this extraordinary synodal event is needed at all in the Church. I've asked what it means for the role of women, and I've looked at some of the pioneering steps taken by the Church in Latin America. But one question has been playing on my mind. The Synod is all about trying to bring about a renewal in the church. But what does that mean for Africa? This is a part of the world where the churches are overflowing, and it's often talked about as the future of Catholicism. So why does the African church need a Synod? In this episode, I speak to two leading voices in the church in Africa to explore some of these questions further. And I think you'll be surprised by what they have to say. Father Yemege Orabato, President of the Jesuit Conference of Africa in Madagascar. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining me from Harare in Zimbabwe. Thank you you very much for having me. I'd like to ask you about what's been going on uh, in Africa when it comes to the Synod process. I mean, people assume that the church is growing in Africa, there is lots of vocations, the churches are packed. Why is a synod therefore needed in Africa? Some people might say, well, maybe the church in Africa is doing fine. It it doesn't need a synod process. I would say that the growth of the church in Africa, the phenomenal
1: growth of the church in Africa is not just an assumption, it is a fact. It is growing in terms of numbers of people. It is growing in terms of vocations and all around there are signs of vitality and vibrancy and, and real development and yet we must remember that when we talk about synodality it's a much deeper reality that relates to how the church functions as a community of believers synodality is a critical need in the church in africa because this church continues to operate using models that I would actually call pre-Vatican II in terms of the conception of authority and power, in terms of how participation happens or does not happen, in terms of who gets included in the conversation and who doesn't have a seat at the table, in terms of what church really embraces as a community and how that community discerns
0: the church in Africa. But when you say, it's been operating, or is operating, pre-Vatican II models. Are you saying that is that the models are, are too hierarchical, too top-down, not inclusive enough of roles for, for women, for example? Well, my experience convinces me
1: that the way authority is exercised in this church is still rooted in some conception of, clerical orders that confers and concentrates power and authority in the hands of the ordained the whole idea that participation and mission and communion is rooted in our baptismal experience and calling which is inclusive of every christian is still one that is not taken into account in how the church is run so yes the hierarchical clericalist and patriarchal models of leadership are still deeply entrenched in this church of course the implication is that or the consequence is that several baptized Christians find themselves either excluded or marginalized and therefore unable to actually exercise their baptismal role within the Christian community. So whether they be youth, they be women or people in particular circumstances, the very strong emphasis on orders as an almost indispensable prerequisite for inclusion in framework of the churches like in Africa
0: do you think if those issues that you mentioned are not addressed um, that there's a danger that the some of the problems that we've seen in Uh, the Western churches where the credibility of church leadership has been really destroyed because of the sex abuse scandal, for example, the same thing will happen in Africa unless the reform comes through the Synod. Well, I mean, I want to put on record that uh, the issues you just
1: referenced about uh, abuse uh, is not a common reality for the church in Africa. It is a reality for the church in Africa. So, the need for reform is not one that is deferred. It's one that is critical, that is urgent, and that needs to begin to happen now. Yes, we run the risk definitely of losing credibility, and we run the risk definitely of alienating the people of God on whom this uh, phenomenal growth of the church actually is founded
0: the church in africa often plays a, a critical role in helping civil society um, in serving the poorest and providing education healthcare how important is the synod do you think in supporting that kind of init- those initiatives um, in helping to maybe heal some of the, the the terrible wars and conflicts that are going on I'm thinking in particular, what happened in in Rwanda, where there was a synod in in 2000 after the the, the genocide there. You're right about the church's involvement in the
1: social, economic and political life of um, the continent, especially south of the Sahara, where there is still a very strong involvement in areas such as education and provision of health care and which is coming from faith-based organizations and many of them in the church. One of the things that the Synod does in strengthening that particular focus is that it creates a space where we are able to surface issues that may be controversial, contested, neurologic, but issues nonetheless that are critical to people's daily living. If you take the example of Rwanda, post-genocide Rwanda, is certainly a different reality 25 plus years after the genocide. And one of the things that has happened not so long ago is a synod that was organized by the Roman Catholic Church community and led uh, by the Archdiocese of Kigali. And of course, that is what gives, creates the space where issues of you know wounds that are unhealed hurts that remain you know um painful and memories that remain very raw can be brought to the table and can be talked about in such a way that the process of healing is creative and constructive not contentious and controversial yes the sinner certainly offers us an opportunity as a process to engage in very difficult issues in the christian community and beyond because Africa as a continent is a multiplicity of countries and therefore we would need to be attentive to the local context. We just referenced the need and the very critical need for reconciliation in a place like Rwanda post-genocide. That is certainly very particular to the context. There will be other places on the continent where that will be the focus, whereas elsewhere the need will be totally uh, different.
0: And how is the Synod process going so far in, in your uh, experience? Are people interested? Are Catholics getting involved? What are your impressions? I would say my overall
1: impression is fairly positive. I qualify that as fairly positive, precisely because in the instances where I've been privileged to be engaged, I see a lot of enthusiasm. Now, i would say though that that would depend on the leadership of the local church where you have people leaders and i speak mostly of uh, ecclesiastical leaders bishops now who have taken this on board who have really embraced this process you see that translating into very local situations very local context and the christian community is very involved so that's one aspect but there are also pockets Um, of what I would say um, ecclesiastical resistance to the very idea, or rather to the very um, principles that underline uh, the practice of synodality. For example, the principle of consultation, uh, wide and inclusive consultation. That's difficult, I would say, in certain instances and for certain uh, kinds of ecclesiastical leadership. And there you would find that the process is barely even off the ground does that worry you it does I'm I'm particularly worried about that because that's the kind of resistance that seeks to hold on to models of ecclesial relationship and configuration that simply reposes and vests power authority and privilege on the ordained few therefore excluding the vast majority of the baptized, and therefore denying and depriving the church of the possibility of benefiting from the gifts and the giftedness that the people of God
0: bring to build this Christian community. Yes, it worries me a lot. Yeah. Some people looking at the church in Africa from the outside, um, they assume that it's you know very much a conservative uh, organisation or institution, and they particularly look at, say, views around sexuality, sexual identity, particularly LGBTQ uh, rights and questions. And we know that there are some very harsh and oppressive laws um, when it comes to, to gay rights. Do you think the Synod could see a different approach emerging when it comes to those questions? First of all, let me affirm that in Africa, and I speak generally
1: now, that the tendency relates towards criminalization of gay relationship, gay orientation and gay tendencies. There is a strong, strong element of criminalization, and that's true in society. And that is also true in the church where it's stigmatized and that people are stereotyped for their sexual orientation and they feel excluded and marginalized. That is very true. Now. Where I think synodality as a process offers us a way forward, is the very idea of the inclusivity of synodality. We cannot be a synodal church if there is a part of this church that is still feeling alienated, excluded, or marginalized on the grounds of sexual orientation, gender, status or position in the church. We cannot claim to be a synodal church. Yes, synodality precisely challenges us to look again at those zones of exclusion, whether it's, you know, against LGBT, whether it's against women, whether it's against laity generally, we need to have another critical look at finding ways in which everybody gets a seat at the table.
0: When you look ahead to how this process might play out, you have the Rome gathering in 2023, um, but there are people saying that this is going to go be on beyond uh, just, you know, the, the, the current discussions that are happening and and discernment. How do you see this process playing out? What are your hopes for it? My hope is that we are on a path,
1: not simply preparing for an event that will take place in about a year's time or more in Rome. We are on a path of reform. We are on a path of redefining the community. If we are just thinking of an event that would reach its climax in 2023 and basically satisfied with that, that would worry me. Pope Francis repeatedly reminds us that it's a process, and he repeatedly insists that it's a process led by the Spirit. And therefore, for me, the Spirit and the process count for more than the event of a gathering in Rome. What I'm interested in is how we make this spirit, this process of synodality become the driving force of the community. How we make this spirit last beyond the event. And that's why I think it's critical that we pay attention to formation, formation of the baptized community, committee of the baptized, that means priests, laity, religious women, many young people, formation in the
0: spirit of synodality. I know there is a strong cultural history in, in parts of Africa, this idea of Ubuntu, of gathering together, of listening to each other. How can that, do you think, serve the, the, the synod process? The cultural practices within parts of
1: Africa that encourage dialogue, conversation, and coming together um, certainly provide resources for promoting advancing the course of synodality in africa you just mentioned ubuntu i would add Palava. but i think it's also important that we keep in mind that these cultural practices themselves would need to be situated within the context of synodality as an element that reforms these practices it's not enough to simply base our practice of synodality on these practices because these practices themselves can sometimes be exclusive the dynamic of power and authority within the context of palava, for example still tends to prioritize and favor patriarchy now that for me is an element that needs to be reformed through the practice of synodality we simply cannot adopt these practices as models of synodality, important as they are, they too need to be reformed, just like the church's practice of synodality needs to be more embedded.
0: So it's like a, there needs to be a, an active dialogue between the two. Absolutely,
1: an active dialogue between the two where we are learning from what we are used to in parts of Africa, but also allowing that learning to be influenced by what we understand by solid uh, synodality as an inclusive practice of consultation mission and
0: communion and finally what keeps you hopeful about this synod process at a personal level what keeps you going at a a personal
1: level I am enthused and excited by the energy the focus and the commitment of Pope Francis to this process that for me is inspirational and I pray that that lasts a long time
0: well Father or a battle or Battle, as you're known to your to your friends, thank you very much for sharing your insights with me today. It's a great pleasure, Christopher. Thank you for all you do. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. After talking to Father Orabattle, I then got in contact with Dominique Yon. She works in youth ministry in South Africa in Cape Town and advises the Vatican. She's a young woman with a leadership position in the church and she's impatient to see change. Dominic Yon you are the Youth Chaplain Coordinator in the Archdiocese of Cape Town in South Africa and in 2019 you were appointed to the Vatican Youth Advisory Body. Thank you for joining me, welcome to the podcast.
2: Hi, Chris. That's great. Thanks for having me.
0: There are some people in the church who look at the Synod process and the reforms and they think, well, this is really something that's being driven by, quote, the liberals in Germany who want to change church teaching. And actually, in the church in Africa, no one's really interested in the Synod process. What what do you say to that?
2: I think that couldn't be further from the truth. We are currently simply in a listening process and young people, not only in the Western countries, but all over the world, including Africa, just want to be heard right now. And especially with COVID going on, this is an opportune time for us to be heard. I think people in Africa especially are welcoming this process as an opportunity to evangelize and bring people not just young people, but all people back into the church.
0: What about when it comes to the role of women in the church? Do young people want to see those kinds of reforms and changes?
2: I do certainly think that they want these issues or topics to be addressed. I feel that the church can often suppress some of the information regarding that. And our young people are looking to discuss these, these, these issues. I think our clergy often avoid these kinds of controversial topics but certainly at least more women involved in church processes, definitely.
0: Because the impression is that the church in Africa is still very much a patriarchal organisation. Do you think that the Synod can actually shift that? Can it tackle the clericalism that we see in the church?
2: Absolutely. One of the biggest highlights that I took away from being a part of the opening of the Synod was being a part of that listening circle by being in a circle amongst not only other lay people, but also cardinals, bishops, priests, and each of us had an equal opportunity to speak. Going into that circle, I thought that I would be met with a lot of controversy and people might not necessarily agree with what I had to share, but the experience of everyone being treated equally and being listened to was an absolutely amazing experience that I wish everyone could experience for themselves as well. And if everyone did, we would certainly mend the barrier of clericalism by allowing everyone to feel that they can also be heard. Because when people are heard, they feel like they are loved and are actually a part of something. Whereas now they might not necessarily feel that way.
0: So what's crucial is the actual practice of synodality.
2: Absolutely. One of my main concerns is that we often just talking about synodality and talking about very theoretically, but how we're we actually putting it into practice, because that's when we are really, truly going to be transformative throughout this process.
0: When you spoke at the synod opening in Rome, you talked about listening to voices on the on the periphery, those who are persecuted or oppressed due to their age, religion, colour or gender. Are those voices being listened to in, in the processes that you're involved in?
2: We're... That's always been a huge focus for me, but I know not everyone shares that experience of inclusion. So now, especially with the implementation of the Synod in my diocese, I am a part of the training of the priests and coordinators at parishes on how exactly we can ensure that everyone is included in the synodal process. And I hope that from here, that same kind of not only listening practice, but way of specifically inviting individuals that wouldn't typically attend those things. So it's not the same people over and over again, that we ensure that everyone is invited, that everyone is a part of that conversation, a part of that table.
0: And aren't there there some people who see certain laws being passed in in African countries against gay people, very harsh legislation. Is that something the church needs to stand up against?
2: The church needs to start speaking about this and addressing these things. I'm very fortunate that where I live in Cape Town, um, it's not as much of an issue, but I certainly do empathise With our sister countries that are going through that, where it's seen as a sin to even think or speak about such things, they don't feel like they experience anodality in their communities because they aren't even free to express themselves and who they are and how they feel. And this experience could allow us to break down those barriers, not asking the church to change its teachings or anything like that, but just to. Be open and receptive to how people feel. And everyone's entitled to the way that they feel. In listening circles, there's no right or wrong answers or reflections. You can't criticise people's personal experiences. And I think that is what this listening stage is all about. Just being open to just listen more than speak.
0: And what do you think are the top concerns for young people who you work with?
2: Unemployment affects the lifestyles and well-beings of our young people and our families and I think most countries in Africa are affected by that in particular. Teenage pregnancies are a huge concern as well and there's a huge inconsistency on how different churches deal with these kinds of things. Some young women are no longer welcome to our churches anymore after going through that. How does that affect marriage and family life those are two some of the two main concerns
0: and after this synod processes happen and say the initial stages the listening has taken place the consultation it then goes to the meeting in rome of the of the bishops now you've been involved in the vatican gatherings and meetings there are some people who are worried that when the uh, Gathering in Rome happens that the listening that's taken place in local dioceses, it may not filter through. It may get ignored. It may get sidelined. That actually, even though people are involved in this process, that it may not actually bring about anything concrete. What do you say to that?
2: I think the Synod on the Youth was a great example of being listened to. That document reflects a lot of the young people's concerns. And I This was the synod in
0: 2018. You're talking about.
2: That's correct. The synod on youth in 2018. There was a great opportunity for young people to share their concerns, to be a part of the synodal process for the first time, and the Christus Viva document reflected that those concerns were being heard and being listened to, and I have faith that a similar thing can happen again, and even if it's not. All I mean, there are so many concerns around the world. The reason why this process is taking place on an archdiocese level is that those coordinators and the archbishops can listen to their own people and try and implement it themselves, even on a parish level. If you're hearing these concerns and there are things that you can do about it now, then make those changes now. We don't have to wait for an official document to come from Rome to tell us what we should and shouldn't be doing. I think one of the main things from getting from the listening process is that some of our clergy might never have known that this is what our people are feeling and thinking. And so just having that acknowledged in the first place will make a huge difference. It doesn't have to be in a document.
0: You've also met Pope Francis. How did you find that? What's your impressions of, of Francis? And is he able to lead and inspire young people in Africa?
2: I only met him briefly and managed to introduce myself and even just by sharing good morning I'm Dominique from South Africa you responded ah Dominique I found him so joyful and down to earth and someone that is very relatable I think people from Africa would find him completely joyous and pleasant to be around and someone that would understand where we are coming from.
0: And do you understand why some people are so opposed to Pope Francis? Because there are a lot of groups who seem to uh, criticise him or attack him quite a lot.
2: Nothing great comes without criticism. and. It's, so, it's challenging and beautiful that we all think so differently. And it's to be expected that people will be hesitant or contradict what our Holy Father has to say. And I hope that he, he continues to be persistent on his journey because now more than ever, it's needed. I think if we are, are not focusing on synodality, we are going to lose our church at the end of the day.
0: Really? How how, how do you mean we're going to lose our our church?
2: Well, especially now with COVID, where people have gotten into the habit of not having to go to church in person and people are falling away from receiving a spiritual communion or attending mass online. People are comfortable not being a part of a church community anymore. So if we are not practicing synodality, how are we going to bring our people back? And that's not just young people, but people of all ages.
0: Now, Pope Francis has in the past talked about how Nelson Mandela is one of his heroes. And of course, Mandela was someone who led a great reform and renewal in South Africa. What do you think the church can learn from a figure like Mandela when it comes to the uh, Synod process?
2: Nelson Mandela was also met with a lot of resistance. And I think what we can learn and be inspired by him is to persevere and to have faith in our goal and what we want to achieve and where we need to be.
0: Well, Dominique, thank you very much for joining me and all the best to you in the uh, Synod reform process in in Cape Town.
2: Thank you so much, Chris. Thank you for having me.
0: This podcast is supported by the Centre for Catholic Studies at Durham University and The Tablet. You can find all the episodes on Apple Podcasts or through the Centre for Catholic Studies and the Tablet. Thanks for listening.